Appeal letters are a crucial tool for nonprofit organizations to raise funds and engage supporters. However, with busy schedules, it can be challenging to grab the attention of donors of small to medium sized nonprofits. In part one of this two part episode, Tim and Nathan will uncover the secrets to creating unmissable appeal letters that will captivate your audience and generate more revenue. Welcome to the Practice of Nonprofit Leadership a podcast specifically designed for executive directors of nonprofit organizations. With a touch of humor, your co-hosts Tim and Nathan work to provide encouragement, insights, and practical strategies to help you be a more effective leader. And now, here's Tim and Nathan. Welcome to Episode 106 of the Practice of Nonprofit Leadership. I'm Tim Barnes. And I'm Nathan Ruby. Direct mail is dead. Long live direct mail. Wow, Nathan, are you working on your best King Charles III impression? You know what? I was thinking about that, Tim, as as I was getting ready to say that. But, you know, my English accent is pretty bad. And so I thought, eh, I'm not, I'm not going to risk it. Well, you definitely didn't sound British, but um, <laughs> you, you did give us a good segue into our topic for today's episode on direct mail. Yeah, that's right, Tim. We're, we're going to talk about direct mail today. It's getting to be, you know, it, it's getting to be kind of towards the end of the year and a lot, a lot of mail is going to take in place, a lot of fundraising by mail. And uh, so we thought that I thought that this would be a good time to talk about direct mail. But Tim, this is not just an episode on direct mail. It's more like an extravaganza. It's a two part episode. The bottom line is we actually had too much good stuff. <laughs> We could just do it in one episode. So, uh, Nathan, let's before we get started, maybe we should kind of define exactly what we mean when we talk about direct mail. Yeah, good, good question, Tim. Um, so the definition that we're going to use today is basically anything that you send out in the mail that has either a direct ask, a soft ask, which we'll talk about in a little while or a general fundraising overtone to it. So that could be appeal letters or newsletters or annual reports. If you send out an annual report as a, as a standalone. Uh, so, you know, some people may not include newsletters technically as a direct mail piece, but I do, I, I lump it all together uh, so I can plan for it that way. You know, anything that you're sending out that's tied to fundraising is that's what we're calling direct mail in, in the ne- in this episode and the next episode. And that's how I do it when I set up my fundraising. I think it's important for us to say we are actually talking about items that we actually go to the post office and put them in the mail and they come that way. Would you, con- would you consider, you wouldn't consider email, sending an email newsletter, sending, you know, uh, email update. That's not what you're talking about. Here, no, right? no, that would be a separate. Um, I split that up as a as an online strategy. Now you can use the same content. You you create your content and uh, as a as a hard copy U.S. post office, you know, sending out in the mail. And you can uh, there's a couple of options when it actually comes to the online side. You can just make a PDF copy of the actual hard copy and send that out, or you could totally re 
reconfigure it uh, and make it as a standalone online piece. You could you could do either one, but uh, no. What what we're talking about today is hard copy. It's gone to the printer, goes in an envelope, goes to the post office, and goes out. So I'm not including online strategies in this. Okay, I think it's important because I think your first statement is really true. <laughs> there are. There are a lot of people who really believe that direct mail is dead, and yet direct mail still works. Yeah, it is, Tim. And and you know, one of the you know people people say uh, that they hate direct mail, but the reason you keep getting it all the time is because it works. I mean, whether it's whether it's from a fundraising perspective or from a corporate uh, for profit you know uh, uh, direct mail marketing campaign. It, the people wouldn't do it if it didn't work. And, uh, you know, it, it is, it is a way to generate revenue. It is for nonprofits and it is a way to generate positive net revenue. Now we'll talk about this a little bit later too. Now it doesn't automatically mean that every organization should be doing a direct mail program. Uh, but, uh, uh, for a lot of organizations, it does make sense. Well, let's jump in here. I know you've got some key points today that you, want to just share with us that if we are going to do the direct mail, there's some things we need to make sure are happening with it. So why don't we jump right in? Yeah. Yeah. We've got nine points uh, to talk about uh, direct mail and making your direct mail program more successful. And, and ultimately, what do we mean by more successful? We mean generating more net revenue. So nine things that you could do to make your direct mail program better. Number one um, is in any document any direct mail piece I start out with, whether it's newsletter, uh, direct mail, letter itself, annual report, I always start out with thank you, with thanking donors for supporting you and writing checks. And you know, I looked at a couple of studies on this. And one study I read um, was, at, it was a study about everyday language use around the world has found that in the informal settings, People almost always complied with requests for an object, service, or help. And for their efforts, they received expressions of gratitude only rarely in about one out of 20 occasions. So what does this mean? If you're sitting at the table and, you know, even if you're home with your family, you're sitting at the dinner table and, uh, pepper. Yeah. You know, please pass the pepper. Cause it's rude to reach all the way across the table. I mean, sometimes when you're at home, you know, maybe you do that anyway, but let, let's say we have our manners on Tim. And so you ask your, your, uh, 15 year old, please pass the pepper. Uh, and they do. And then how often do you say thank you? Uh, and so this study found out it was about one in 20. And I don't know. I, I when I first read that, I thought that's that's not right. It would be higher than that. But then I kind of thought about daily interactions and yeah, it probably it probably is more more close to accurate than we think. So a second study I read said people signal the need for assistance frequently about every minute and a half according to this uh to this study and they usually get it. However, re- requests were re- complied with about 7 times more often than not. So if we are asking for help, if we're asking for assistance about every minute and a half, and we're only getting a thank you one in 20 times, that means people have been conditioned to not receive a thank you. 
Well, guess what? That means if you do start out with a thank you, if you do make a thank you a prominent piece of your direct mail, then that sticks out to donors because they're not used to receiving that. And so, you know, typically when I start off uh, uh, an actual, uh, we'll do an actual appeal letter, I have got a thank you in the first paragraph. It is right up center. And uh, statements such as uh, your gifts have made such an impact this year, or thank you for your generous support, or we couldn't do this without you. Something that, that sets the tone right off the bat that says, thank you, acknowledges what they've done in the past and gives appreciation and, uh, and thanks for that. So right off the bat, I put that in there. That's in, in my article in the newsletter, in a direct mail piece, wh- whatever the case may be. So saying thank you is really, really important. And do you find that generally it's a good thing to do, but do you feel like it helps people be more receptive if they, if they do get a thank you? It's like, oh, they do appreciate me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and continue to give. Yeah, it is. And and it sets the tone. Uh, uh, and I don't know. I don't know if people expect it from my letters because I, I always start off that way. But I do think that it everybody likes to be shown uh, appreciation. I mean, if, if somebody comes up to you and, and if you've done something for your neighbor and your neighbor comes back the next day and says, my God, thank you for doing that. Well, it makes you feel good. I mean, that's just it makes you feel uh, like you've done something good. It 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 creates a clo- in my opinion, it creates a closer connection between two people. And so, yeah, I, I think it just puts the the donor in in a better frame of mind to read the rest of the letter when they see that right off the bat. So we we need to start by a thank you. What where do we go from there? All right, uh, another piece is just really critical for your direct mail pieces is tell a compelling story. Um, every successful appeal letter, you've got to include a compelling story that resonates with the reader. So when you're writing this letter, it's important to capture the emotions and experience of those who have directly benefited from your organization's work, sharing real life stories that demonstrate the impact of your programs and initiatives. Now, there may be some privacy concerns, depending on the type of organization you have, especially if you're working with kids in a social service setting, uh, you know, privacy and, and uh, especially if you're in a smaller town, uh, th- that could be a real issue. And so if that's the case, you could get around that pretty easily by one, uh, changing names. Uh, that's one way. Another thing you could do is you can, I think it's called a straw man, Tim. Um, you can set up a story about people, about how you, how your organization has impacted people, but it doesn't have to be the exact, uh, uh, situation to an exact person that that's named. So, you could, one of my, I'm kind of talking in circles here, Tim, but it, you could set up a scenario. This is a typical scenario of somebody that we serve and then just go into that. And you, and then, so down at the bottom, you can put in an asterisk and down at the bottom, you could say something like, uh, you know, the names uh, of, of, in order to maintain privacy, uh, the names and story has been altered or, or something like that. You could do that or you can write something like, uh, you know, when a typical family comes into our organization, 
this is, you know, this is their situation. This is what their life has been. This is how our organization helps them. And this is, this is the outcome. This is what happens. Uh, and your donors will understand that they know that you can't say, uh, you know, well, Bob and Sarah Anderson, uh, 1425 Elm street and, you know, came to our organization. They understand that you can't do that. Um, so it's okay. It's okay to leave some ambiguity in there, but you still have to tell compelling stories. Giving is a emotional response to a need. It is you in order to get donors to write a check, you have to make it emotional. And if you don't hit that emotional trigger, they will not give your, your donor or they will give at a, at a lower level. Um, and this is especially true. The closer you get to a donor's max gift, um, that you, the, 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 if, if their max gift is, uh, is a thousand dollars, um, and you are asking for a $900 check, then you've really got to have emotion in there. Um, and now Tim, your organization has really been doing a great job lately with, with telling stories, uh, and, and telling those stories and bringing it really down from an emotional stand, uh, impact of how you're helping one family or one person. And, and you guys have really been doing a good job with that lately. Well, thanks. You know, the, the issue, the whole issue of refugees, the numbers are so huge. The need is so big and it's easy to be able to throw out, you know, millions, you know, well, how do you wrap your hands around millions of people? Um, but if you take it to the fact that these are people with names and here's their names, you know, or here's their situation. I mean, some people get into statistics, but by far the majority of people need, like you say, that emotional connection. I need, I need to realize we're talking about a, a, a real issue, a human issue or whatever. So um, we typically respond more to, to the emotional side, as you say, than we do to a statistic. Uh, that's my, my experience anyway. Yeah, for, for sure. And, and, uh, and that's a, also an, a, a valid point, Tim, on, on the numbers. And no matter what your organization is, if you are serving on the block in your community or on you know the, the west side or the north side or the south side of your community or your state or United States or the whole world, it doesn't make any difference. Th this fact remains the same is donors don't think in multiples. So if you're serving, let's say you, you serve 500 family units last year, well, it is really difficult for a donor to get their arms around 500 because the ability to impact 500 is pretty difficult unless you have a really, a really big checkbook. And so when you're telling these stories, you've got to bring it down to one tell a story about one family or one person or one example. Don't talk about the many. Uh, your donor can get their arms around one and they can feel a connection with one. So don't talk about 10 or 20 or 500 or a thousand. Talk about one. Uh, and so that's how you do it. So, you know, your, your stories are, are so important. Uh, when I do my direct mail pieces, Typically about 70% of the letter uh, or 70% of the article, whatever I'm doing is the story. That is the number one piece that uh, of writing when you're writing words, that is the number one uh, important is the story. So about 70%. 
uh, of my letter will will be the story. Well, this is you're off to a good start here, Nathan. Some really practical uh, things to remember when we're doing direct mail. Uh, we've got a we've got an event coming up, and uh, so let's take a break, Nathan, and uh, talk about that event, and we'll be back in just a minute. Fundraising can be difficult, but it doesn't have to be. Just like learning anything else, you have to learn the fundamentals before you master a new skill. That's why Tim and I are offering a new class called Fundraising Fundamentals. In this free class, you will learn fundamentals such as why do people give? How do I encourage people to give to my organization? How do I fit fundraising into my already overwhelmed schedule? And a lot more. This class will be fun, interactive, and give you a solid base by which you can begin to build your fundraising muscle. If fundraising success has remained elusive, if you know in your heart your organization should be raising more dollars, but you just can't figure out how, this class is for you. Click the link in the show notes and you'll be able to register. It's going to be a good class. We hope to see you there. Well, Nathan, I hope uh, I hope our listeners take an opportunity to join us for that free class. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a good experience, and uh, I know you got a lot of good things to share. Uh, so make sure you guys uh, click on the link in the show notes, and we'll look forward to seeing you on October nineteenth. And all the details will uh, be sent out to you once you sign up. Well, hey, uh, let's jump back into our direct mail focus. Uh, what's our next point? Okay, next one is personalize your approach. Now, I got to tell you, uh, nobody gets excited. I don't get excited. I don't think anybody gets excited. When you get a letter in the in the mailbox, you, you yell, the, the post person, your, your, uh, your mail person has gone by. Uh, you get a second, you go outside, you open up the, the mailbox, and you know, everybody's kind of excited to go to the mailbox to see what's in there. It's a little bit of mystery, a little bit of fun. And there's a letter that addressed and you look at it and it says, uh, dear resident. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. You spent a lot of time and effort to, uh, to, to pick me out. You, you really made me feel special, uh, by addressing my letter to dear resident. Uh, so, you know, the, the fundraising equivalent to that, Tim would be dear donor or dear supporter or something like that. And when you get uh, a direct mail like that, or when your donors get a, a direct email that's addressed that way, it just, I don't know. It just sends a signal out that you, uh, Oh gosh, Tim, what was it? Uh, what was the brand when you care to send the very best? Was that Hallmark? I think that was Hallmark's thing. Wait, Sounds like it. Yeah. Would you care to send the very best? Um, well, you're, you're not caring to send the very best when you address your appeal letter to dear donor. Uh, now I, under, I understand not everybody not everybody has a database. Um, not everybody has staff that is well trained uh, on how to do, you know, pivot tables and uh, mail merges and all that thing. I get it. I understand that. I've worked for those organizations like that. I've been in those situations. I was fundraising for an organization once who didn't have a database. We had it on an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, so I get it. I understand it. Um, if that's you. I would suggest a couple things. One, sending sending a letter. If if the very best you could do is dear donor, and that's the best you could do, sending that is better than sending nothing. 
So I will, I will say that it's it, sending that is better than maybe use dear friend instead of dear donor. That would probably be a suggestion. Send it if that's all you have, but then spend time and effort. And if you need to spend some money and invest in a database, invest in a volunteer or a part-timer to help you work in that database. Once you get one, make sure the data is correct. And again, I, this comes back, Tim, we maybe should do an uh, episode on this on on infrastructure because so many nonprofits spend all their money on program, which is, that's, you know, that's where people are. That's your, your, you're a nonprofit doing this work. And so investing in the work is what you're supposed to do, but you also have to make sure you have the right infrastructure to generate the revenue that you need. And this is a place where you could spend money on infrastructure. So if you don't have a database, um, add that to your to-do list to go find one uh, and one that fits for you. Um, and then get your data in there, get it cleaned up, make sure that you have, you know, if you have Mr. and Mrs., you know, Nathan Ruby or Nathan and Missy Ruby or however you want to do it, make sure it's consistent, make sure it gets in there and then start to use that and personalize those uh, uh, those addresses. It will make a difference. Your revenue will go up. I guarantee you it'll go up if you send it out with the right name on it as opposed to dear friend. The bottom line is, Nathan, we live in a time where this is not as hard as it used to be. There are some really fairly simple, affordable options that let you do this. And uh, if you, like I have no idea what I'm talking about, reach out to us and uh, I'll let Nathan coach you on that. <laughs> but seriously, there, there are many, many affordable options that could be used even as a small nonprofit in the, in the world that we're living today. Yeah. There's, there's a uh, several, da- I mean, there's a ton of fundraising databases out there uh, and a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them have a, a free option. Uh, if, and a lot of them are based on the size of your database so if you have, you know, some of them, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but it might be up to 5,000 are free. You don't have to pay anything. Well, if your mailing list is 250 people, well, then you're under that limit. So you can actually use that database and not pay anything. Uh, and it, it, it it's well worth the effort. Now, if, you know, you have to learn how to use it or have somebody in your organization learn it. And that that takes some investment of time and energy and maybe some money. But again, well, well worth it. Well, number four. All right. Um, so the next one, when you're writing a appeal letter, uh, again, whether it's a, a standalone uh, letter or newsletter article or uh, whatever, um, you have to highlight urgency uh, here in the U.S. Uh, and a lot of countries around the world. It is part of culture. It is giving to those in need is part of it's wrapped into who we are. It's wrapped in culturally, it's wrapped into our DNA. So it it's it's a very common function to help those in need. However, instigating that or 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 getting somebody to actually take out their checkbook, actually find a pen and actually sign it, put it in the envelope, put a stamp on it, put it in the mailbox and send it off or, you know, click the uh What's the grid thing, Tim? Uh, you take a picture of and it takes you right to it online. Um, bar- QR code. QR code. Thank you. You know, clicking on the QR code, whatever it is, you have to have a sense of urgency. And so by urgency, here here's an example. Uh, it's a non-fundraising example. But often 
my wife is really attuned to her surrounding. Uh, she's much better at that than I am. I am sometimes oblivious to my surrounding, but uh, my wife is, is always attuned to it. And so she will uh, make a comment like, um, there, there's a sound in the car, the car is making a sound. Uh, and I, I will say, well, what sound is that? And then she will make some sound that I, I, I can't even, I don't even know how she makes the sound. Uh, but then I go and I get in the car and I drive it and I listen for that sound and I don't hear it. And, and there's like, I, I don't hear anything. Just keep driving it. We're good. Uh, and so one day she called on the way to, uh, on the way to work and she said the, the, the car's making a sound. And I said, and I was busy. Uh, I had things going on. I was getting ready for a meeting and I said, um, how close are you to school? She's a teacher and she's pretty close. And I said, just get to school. I'll, I'll worry about it later today. The phone rings again, about 30, now about 60 seconds later, I look at the phone. It's my wife calling. And I have to admit, I was a little agitated, Tim, because I, I just had, we just talked and I, you know, I had given her what I wanted her to do. And, uh, so I answered the phone and she said, I I'm on the side of the road. Ultimately, what had happened was the tie rod end had broken on the car, and that's what was making the sound that she couldn't she couldn't describe the sound was. So the tire was like flopped over at about a 45 degree angle. So now all of a sudden I went to very attuned to what was going on and you know called my meeting off and went and and got did what I had to do. But all of a sudden I had a sense of urgency when she said the tires flopped over on the side that got my attention before she wasn't getting my attention. And so you've got to have an attention getter. You've got to have something <clears throat> that creates a sense of urgency. And back in the day, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of year end appeals worked really well. I mean, we all know about if you've been in the nonprofit business on the fundraising side at all, you know, everybody knows that October, November, and especially November, December is like where most part of the revenue comes in at the end of the year. Well, the reason for that, it was because of the tax year. And it was very common for people to give in November and December because a lot of people itemized their taxes and, and thus they could deduct the gift. Now, remember, tax incentives have always been well down on the list of reasons why people give. Uh, in fact, tax reasons are hardly ever in the top five uh, as a motivator for making a gift. Usually it's seven, eight, nine, sometimes even 10 or 11. Um, so it's not a primary motivator to make a gift, but it is, well, in the past anyway, it, it could be an instigator to give. So your donor's like, oh, it's December 20th and I haven't, you know, I haven't given to my favorite charity yet. I better get my checkbook out and write it because I'm running out of time. Uh, that was pretty common. Well, in 2020, 87% of Americans took the standard deduction. So if you take the standard deduction, you're not itemizing. So you're not going to get a chance to, to write off those uh, charitable gifts. So in 2020, 87% of Americans took the standard deduction. In 2013, that was 68% of taxpayers took the standard deduction. So that's a 19% increase in the last seven years. So now taxes really aren't even an instigator for many of your donors. So 
we kind of have lost that 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 uh, time calendar timeline uh, to get people encouraged to write the check. So you have to create a sense of urgency on your own. And you could do that with, with simple statements like your gift today will mean so-and-so, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or, you know, your gift today means that we could continue to serve our clients just like, you know, Susie or Sally or Joe, whoever was in the story that remember the compelling story, uh, whoever was in your compelling story. If you don't convey a sense of urgency, your donor is going to think, yeah, I really need to write a check and I really need to do that. Oh, look, my grandchild's calling or, oh, my son is, you know, needs me on the phone or, oh, my, I'm just about ready for that meeting I have to go to. And, and it gets lost in the shuffle and the gift never materializes. It probably is good to mention that we do have listeners outside of the U.S. And so we've been fortunate in the U.S. to be able to have the opportunity to deduct some of our giving to charitable causes. That's not true of all, all countries around the world. But no matter where you are, urgency really is an important important topic of how we motivate people to actually take this step to give. Nathan, I wanted to ask you real quick that um, can there be too much urgency? Like can we use can we use ur- urgency in a way that it's like every time I get something, you know, the house is on fire. <laughs> well, that house must have burned down several times already because it's still it's still on fire. What's the best way to use that sense of urgency to where it doesn't become too over the top? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and and that is possible. I mean, your your donors for them to give, they they need to have a sense that we're that their money is making a difference, that their money is go- that's the reason for the compelling story, that that's how their money is going to be used. But if you get to the to the point where, you know, the sky is falling or, you know, the platform is burning down and and we're in crisis again and again and again and again, well, pretty soon it's my money's not really doing anything here. I'm not accomplishing anything. And so I'm going to find an organization that, that I, I think I can really help make a difference with. And so can you say, you know, without your gift, we may have to close our doors. Yes, you could say that. Um, you just can't say it very often. Uh, and um, when I, when I mean very often, I mean, once every two, three, four years, maybe, uh, you certainly can't say it two times or three times a year, uh, or, or, you know, every third letter that goes out, something like that, because you'll just, you'll lose your donors. Either they'll stop giving totally, or they will, they will diminish the, the, the level of giving that they have for you, give you a smaller amount and, and support another organization that they feel is really moving forward, uh, and making a better impact. So yes, definitely, you have to be careful using uh, the sky is falling or you know the house is burning down as a uh, tool to get a sense of urgency. Nathan, what a what a good start to the focus on direct direct mail. The idea of saying thank you and telling a compelling story, making sure we personalize the approach of our letter to people. And also to give them a reason to give, to, to create some urgency. In our next episode, continue the discussion, but why don't you 
put this all together for us today? So every executive director must have a well thought out fundraising plan that is implemented every year. Should direct mail be automatically included in every single plan? No, not every organization is designed to be successful with direct mail. However, and this is a big, however, most organizations will benefit from a strong direct mail program. If you decide to include direct mail in your annual fundraising plan, following the things we've talked about in this episode and in our next episode, will put you in a good position to see increased revenue. Well, thank you for listening today. And if you're benefiting from what's being shared on this podcast, we would like to ask you to share a review on the platform. And don't forget, sign up for the fundraising fundamentals. You don't want to miss it. Just go to the show notes and click on the link. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information is also in the show notes. That's all for today. Until next time.